everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Blackboard Intelligence YouTube channel. Today, we have another special guest for you guys. We have trading educator as well as author Cheds. Cheds, thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. This is long overdue. Hey, I appreciate that, man. Definitely a big fan of the work you put in this, out in this space. So uh, thanks for having me, buddy. It means a lot. Um, I guess we can first start with, for anybody who maybe doesn't know, uh, who are you, what do you do, and kind of what, you, what got you into the space? Yeah, so I've been in crypto. I'll tell you how I'll start out with how I got into crypto. I got into crypto um, in 2017, kind of the middle to the early part of the year. Um, I had been at that point, I'd been trading for seven or eight years already. Um, you know, and I really just started to take it seriously, maybe a couple of years before that, starting to learn technical analysis. Um, you can think of me as really as kind of a chart nerd, trading psychology kind of guy, an educator, newbie helper. You know, I got wrecked really hard early on. So I've kind of uh, geared what I do towards passing on that knowledge. So I'd built up a little bit of um, a following at that point. In 2017, I have a good buddy named Big Chonus. He's on Twitter at Big Chonus. He was showing me his, his uh, iPhone and had a Coinbase app. And I saw like Ethereum and I saw Litecoin. And my first thought was, why does he have precious metals on his phone? Why is he storing precious metals? I didn't know really what cryptos were, you know, too much. I kind of heard of them. But if that was my first thought. It was so foreign to me. But it was interesting. And... I love technical analysis. For me, it's all about the price. And I started putting out charts for Litecoin and Bitcoin. All of a sudden, people were tweeting it, retweeting it, and I got addicted, man. It's like, ah, oh, okay, people are interested in what I have to say. And I went really hard into crypto uh, in 2017. Uh, later in that year, actually, I was diagnosed with cancer right around um, Thanksgiving of that year. And so while I was learning about that and starting my treatment, Bitcoin hit 20K, right? It was crazy, it was exciting. And I really got to focus on that. Really got to focus on, you know, Litecoin hitting 400, you know, Bitcoin hitting 20K, Ethereum hitting, uh, I don't remember what it was, like 3,000 at the time or whatever. And so that was my focus rather than my own miseries and like whatever I was going through. So that was my introduction to crypto. And I've been here ever since. I love it. I still don't understand the fundamentals, which is why I enjoy uh, reading what you do and watching all your work. You know, I really put my nose right into the chart and uh, it's worked for me and it's worked for others as well. So that's a little bit of an intro for me. Before we get kind of into like the meat and potatoes of, uh, you know, just like kind of educational on, uh, on TA, I just yeah. want to kind of give the audience um, an opportunity to understand your story in regards to cancer and like, how did that kind of impact your, your outlook on life? Uh, it's crazy because I was diagnosed when I was 39 and you know, I felt invulnerable, man. I got to tell you, I felt like I still felt really young at the time. I felt like no matter, you know, if I got a cut, it's going to heal, you know, and if I hurt myself, I'm going to heal. I'm young. And then all of a sudden you hear, all right, you have cancer, you've got lymphoma, you've got an aggressive blood cancer. And it was like, all right, you know, I shouldn't have been taking all these things for granted. Um, I need to start looking at my priorities. The thing was, though, I was young. I had a great support network. I just knew I was going to beat it. I believed that there was no question I was going to beat it. And um, my cancer, DBLCL, diffuse large B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, the average age was like 80. And I was 39, so it was like weird that I had that cancer. And it just so I told myself, all right, I'll probably beat it. I'm young. And, um, you know, and I was confident in everything. But I'll tell you, the chemo broke me down. Like, to survive chemotherapy, there was nothing left of me. I mean, it just, you know, I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't do anything. Um, you know, and there's moments where I didn't know if I was going to make it, you know, emotionally I was destroyed, but I, you know, I found my way through it. 
And because of that, I have a strength I didn't have before. I have an appreciation for things I didn't have before. I don't, I try not to take things for granted. I really think about my friends and my family and whether I'm creating negativity or I'm creating positivity, you know, I've, I've room to grow, of course, like anybody, but it really helped me realign uh, my priorities in life and uh, just got to take care of myself, man. So that's what I focus on now. That's amazing. Um, all right, let's go ahead and pivot to uh, kind of the TA side of things. So how yeah. would you define technical analysis? So for some of our listeners, they're perhaps just like hardcore Bitcoin hodlers, maybe don't know anything yeah. about trading. How would you define TA and why do you think mm -hmm. it's valuable? So I have a good buddy of mine who I had an ongoing argument with him for several years where he thought TA was nonsense. It was garbage. And it took me a while. I finally got him to come around. And the way I describe it is it's basically trend analysis. What you're doing is identifying a trend and you're trying to understand if that trend is strong or weak. And you're identifying levels in the price that would suggest that that trend is weakening or that trend is strengthening. So it's about identifying a trend. And if you're trading, you're riding that trend. As long as you can, making profit, you're trading with the trend, right? So it's understanding a trend, which allows you to understand moves against the trend, which you can take advantage of, to understand moves outside of a standard deviation, overreactions that you can take advantage of. It's bottom line, it's trend analysis, it's understanding the supply and the, and the um, demand dynamic as expressed historically on the chart. Do you look at anything aside from price action? Like, if so, or if not, why? Uh, I definitely look at sentiment, sentiment analysis. It's really important to me. Um, if you look through my, you know, my Twitter feed, and you, there's other people who do this, but there's times where you can feel the top. Um, you know, it matches up with the TA. You'll see the rejections in the candle wicks and you'll see kind of price bumping against resistance, but you'll, you'll also notice there's incredible enthusiasm in the market. You know, I put out a tweet. Uh, I remember exactly what I think it was like the, around the May top. I just said too much enthusiasm. There was just too much enthusiasm. And you got to understand when do bulls celebrate? Bulls celebrate after a big move up, right? Bears celebrate after a big move down. And it's those moments of over exuberance, which often reflect kind of an overextension and that will, that will revert to the mean. So I do a lot of sentiment analysis and I find that it's incredibly valuable because, um, you know, Japanese candlesticks is just a visual expression of the psychology of the market. Twitter also gives you some information about the psychology of the market, right? So the psychology, psychology of the market is incredibly important. Is there kind of like a science to that or like quantitative aspect to that? Or is it just like all intuitive? Well, the quantitative element to that would be the candle bodies in the wicks. It's just the price as, as um, you know, reflected in the chart. There's all that feeding, uh, feeding, uh, feeding greed and fear indicator dial. I find that to be mostly useless, you know, because it was we were on fear all the way down from 58K to like 40K. And I saw a lot of people like trying to pump the market and say, hey, look, it's fear. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Just tell me where the price is in relation to support and resistance. Um, it's a little bit of experience and intuitive intuitiveness that comes into play. I mean, I, I'm at the point now where I understand the market participants. I understand the idea. I understand the mentality of retail. And I also kind of know some of the bigger participants and I've studied them. So I kind of see how they're reacting. So it's a little bit like poker where you're kind of reading the other people at the table as well. Um, that maybe you can't really exactly quantify that. And so I think that comes with experience. Do you think the crypto market, uh, although still kind of in its infancy, at least in my opinion, do, do you think it is kind of becoming more efficient? Have you noticed certain things like yeah. maybe obvious supports or resistances getting front ran, that type of thing? 
Well, I, you know, my general thesis is that over time, with more institutional adoption, there'll, there'll be less volatility. So we're seeing kind of a slow movement towards that. Um, you are seeing retail is more savvy. So I think you have people who are becoming aware of like stop loss runs and stuff like that and understanding like that after everybody gets liquidated, that's when the big moves come. You know, so there's, you know, memes help people learn. And so there's been enough time that we built enough memes. We've been sharing them around and we're almost kind of peer educating our peers and educating each other. So you are seeing a slow, um, you know, a slow increase in that. And, you know, for example, let's look at like scams. You've got good accounts out there, like that guy, Zach, exposing scams. So th there's a little bit of a self-correcting and self-regulating mechanism within the marketplace itself. So I, th I see it slowly maturing. Absolutely. One thing you kind of touched on there was liquidity. Can you explain for uh, mostly beginners, like how does how is liquidity shown or represented by price action and support and resistances? So a fundamental rule is the strength of any signal is based on the volume behind it. So like if you know if you look at Japanese candlesticks, everybody's most people have heard of a hammer candle. It's a small real candle body, which is a spinning top, and then you have a, a lower shadow at, at least twice the size of that body. It's a reversal candle. You want that reversal candle to have the most volume in it, the most liquidity in the most. So liquidity is a little bit different than volume, but for TA, you want volume on that reversal candle because that suggests a reversal in momentum. Everything is momentum. So if there's light volume on the way down and then big volume on the hammer, that suggests, okay, there's a, a battle between bulls and bears, supply demand reset, and now you're going to potentially trend back up. Liquidity is a little bit different. Liquidity essentially is... Uh, the pool, you need, you need enough of a pool to trade. You need to have a, enough buyers and sellers, a market that needs to be enough participants to make a market. If you're out with your buddies and you're clubbing, you're looking for the ladies, you want to go to a, a club that's got people. You're not going to the place where there's nobody on stage, nobody, you know, it's empty. You need to find liquidity. You know what I mean? That would be the club. So there's volume that gives you the strength of the signal and there's liquidity, which means I'm in the right place. I can make a trade here. There's action. I'm not going to get stuck. Um, penny stocks are a lot of them are incredibly illiquid. And I played a lot of those back in the day, 2014, like when marijuana became legal, they're just boom in penny stocks. And there's a big difference between the liquid ones and the illiquid ones, right? The Ill illiquid ones, you have a huge spread between the bid and the ask. So if you get greedy and you FOMO in and you just market buy all of a sudden, you know, it could be, it could be $10 in the ask and, you know, $7 in the bid. Now you're, you know, you're 30%, you're done. So you need liquidity, you get those tighter spreads, gives you the ability to maneuver with liquidity. Makes sense. And have you felt like that kind of uh, just general liquidity, both in Bitcoin and just the overall crypto markets, has that improved since you've been trading in these markets? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, back, to, you know, like thinking about like 2018, you know, I'm kind of thinking back in like those really dry months, you know, after that big 17 top. And, you know, there's a time where there's just people pumping alts, but there's no volume. And now just a, there's volume everywhere now. There's volume. There's volume in, in regular alts. There's volume in these kind of secondary markets. There's even volume in like the NFTs. People are trading that. There's volume in all these marketplaces. So we're seeing major inflows and it's kind of percolating into the system. And it's in the kind of standard places with Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin. It's in the top altcoins, you know, like Luna, AVAX, all that stuff. And then, and, you know, even in like Qcoin for stuff that I'm not, I'm not seeing on the major exchanges, Qcoin's got a whole list of stuff, 
you know, it used to be Bittrex a couple of years ago. Now Qcoin has stuff and a bunch of those have liquidity. So there are a lot of options and places to trade. Um, it's inviting. Sometimes it's too inviting, you know, because a lot of people come in, they see a commercial, they see a YouTube video that says, you know, come find the next Bitcoin. I don't think there will ever be a next Bitcoin, first of all. I think that's kind of a, a lie. But they're hoping to come in and get rich. And they're just it's very easy to jump in without doing any kind of research. So it's a little double-edged sword, I think. This isn't something that I see you uh, talk about much on Twitter, but like, do you have a long-term Bitcoin or just overall just crypto thesis, but Bitcoin specifically, um, or is it just, you just, you know, love this market as a, as just a trading mm. vehicle. So I'm, I always tell people like never ask an FA question to a TA guy, right? I would say, go ask Will, um, you know, but I understand enough. I understand scarcity. So I understand that, right? I understand there's a limited amount of Bitcoin. I understand we're printing dollars. People want to use it as a store of value. Um, it's a technology. There's blockchain. Not, you know, you can have blockchain without Bitcoin, but, you know, you have the overlap. Um, it, I think it's here to stay. I think if it was going to be killed, it would have been killed in its more nascent stages, nascent stages, the early stages. So I think it's around. I think it's going to be more adopted over time. I think volatility will go down over time. I love it because it's an active marketplace and I can kind of, I've been making my name in it. You know, I, I, I could go be tweeting about the spy, but I'd be like one of a hundred people tweeting about spy or Apple. You know, I've made a name for myself in, in crypto and in Bitcoin, which is great. And it's a huge, it's a massive ecosystem. There's people out there who only talk about gaming stuff and metaverse. And there's people who are only talking about fundamentals, the stuff that I can't, I don't even know what like, like a ZK roll up or some of these like layer, I don't even know what layer three is or layer two is like, that doesn't matter to me, but for someone else it does. And there's ecosystem, there's many ecosystems. It's just a great place to be. And because it's new, it allows opportunities. I mean, look, look at guys like us, we, you know, make a name for ourselves here uh, pretty quickly. And uh, who knows, we play it right. We could be around for a while. I think, I think that's a really good answer. And like, yeah, one, th one thing you said, it's like uh, one day in one day in this market is like that movie Interstellar, where it's like, you know, one day yeah. on the planet, it's like a year, uh, you know, you, you miss a couple of days because you're sick or something. You got a whole lot of catching up to do. Let's so pivot. True. Let's pivot to the book itself. And then we can maybe start just doing some uh, di you know, deep dives into different chapters in the book. So kind of talk yeah. us through like, what was the process like writing a book? Cause I do some, per like personally, I, I have my newsletter I send out every week and I find, yeah. I find journaling very beneficial because you're constantly yeah. getting your thoughts out. You have to revisit the basics and kind of mm. also realize different holes in your thinking during that process. But um, what, what was that like personally for you writing a whole book? Uh, mm. And also like what made you want to write a book in the first place? So the precursor would be my blog, chedstrading.blogspot.com. I haven't updated it in like four years, but it was when I realized I've got a couple of good tricks here. I've got a couple of tricks and you think about teaching, you know, any skill to master it, you have to be able to teach other people. So I told myself, if I'm going to stop making these stupid mistakes, if I'm going to stop buying the top, you know, if I'm going to stop um, adding to my losers, I need to start educating people on these subjects. And I started thinking about them and theorizing and learning and reading. And I created the blog. I had a whole series of articles. Time went on um, and I continued my work on Twitter and I, I've grown a lot. I still have room to grow. And I kept doing that. And then I wrote my cancer book and the cancer book was just a memoir. And it was like, you know, I went to the hospital today and the doctor said this and it made me think about that. And then, you know, it was just like, what it was like to go through to go through cancer and chemo and radiation and i published the book and i was like that was super fun you know and like it wasn't like about making money not many people have bought that book but it was about me writing it it was about me kind of offering what i had to the world 
I had always wanted to write a trading book, but that's intimidating, man. You know, like I've read great books and those are so hard. And I was, I kept thinking to myself, well, if I do that, how am I going to print the images and I have to line it up? And there's all these like, and it has to be really good. Like you can't make a, a, a trading textbook and have like huge holes in what you're saying. You have to actually know what you're talking about. Um, I went through eventually and I did a CMT or chartered market technician level one. And like for years, there were all these little things with trading and technical analysis that like you'd hear one person say one thing, another one say another one. And you always wanted to know like, what is the rule? What is like the, the rule, the rule of thumb. And I did CMT and I learned what the rules of thumb were and like what really was real. That was my foundation from there. I was like, all right, I stopped, I went back and I combed through everything I had written down over the years, all my tweets. I started thinking of topics and subjects and I was like, hmm, 50 lessons. That's kind of cool. And it's like, well, how can I do that? That's a lot of topics. So I started just throwing in tweets that I had into a big spreadsheet. I started throwing in ideas and I kept parsing out. This could be a topic. No, this is a subtopic. And I kind of sort, started sorting it. Once I had the 50 topics, you know, I started plugging stuff in. I started writing. I started rewriting, printing it, editing it, putting it back in the computer, drafts, drafts, drafts. And I eventually got the thing done. But I had this passion, like when you have something you're into and there's a moment where you get momentum and you're like, this is a really cool, really cool um, project. It's going to add value. It's going to help me. And I had great like cover art, the guy world of rusty on Twitter who did the cover art. I was like, this is really cool cover art. Like that gave me motivation as well. And I just kind of got almost uh, hyper-focused on it where I was like, I'm going to get this book done. I'm my wife. I'm like, leave me alone. I'm on the work in the book. Leave me alone. I'm working the book. And like wherever I went, I was working on it. I got it done. I was like, that was awesome. And so that was kind of the process. That's amazing. Um, let's go ahead and like dive into it. So I guess first, yeah. first question, kind of overarching question. Um, yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see beginning you know, traders make? Yes. So I, I think a lot about this and I talk a lot about it. So there's, there's so there's like two or three. I always like answer this question with probably the first one is that people bet too big. You know, they start out betting too big because you need experience. And the only way to get experience is to have, have, have runs. You have to get trades in, you have to have, have that experience. So people come in and they just got, maybe they got a little bit of money. You know, if their uncle died and they got like $3,000 and they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to go trade. And so they say, I have $3,000. I'm going to start out with $500 positions. Right? That's like a sixth of your bankroll. They already don't know what they're doing. The first trade, they lose half. Now they've lost, you know, they've lost like whatever, 10%. So you've got to start out really, 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 really small because nobody starts out as a good trader, right? So they know they've never read a textbook. They've done no TA, they, but they've watched some YouTube videos and they think it's easy. So they just come in betting too much. So that is, is really probably the biggest mistake is that people bet too much to start and not under, they don't understand that it's, it's really hard. It will take a long, long, long time, a lot of suffering before you even break even, right? Um, and then I think that they overcomplicate things. I see a lot of, you know, there's this focus on naming chart patterns, Will. Is it, is it a this or is it that? And, and like, you know, what gets lost in that is just looking at the price in relation to support. It's not, it doesn't matter what you name something as long as you know how to play it and you know how to play it because it either holds support or it doesn't it either breaks resistance or it doesn't, right? It, you know, it either holds its gains or it doesn't. It, it either has volume in the direction of the trend or it doesn't. 
So they overcomplicate it and they say, oh, look, I've seen this before. It's a uh, broadening wedge. So I know how to play this or it's a diamond top. They don't know how to play it or they think it's a head and shoulder. Everyone can identify a head and shoulders, but nobody knows how to play it. Nobody knows how to, knows when it invalidates, understands that when the, when the head and shoulders invalidates, it's a signal in the other direction, right? They bought in expecting it to reverse, but it failed, you know, and they didn't cut their loss. So they start up by betting too much. They overcomplicate their systems. And then they add to their losers. You have to understand that when you've got, when you've made a mistake, you got to be like, I'm out. Let me get out. Let me play again. You, you should never add to a bad idea. It's already a bad idea. Like, you know, trends will continue. So guessing when your idea will turn around is a bad idea. Add to your winners, cut your losers, right? Those are the three things, the three biggest mistakes I think that new traders make. I really liked your your one point about like analysis versus execution. I think that's a that's a yeah. really interesting point. Something like personally that I've struggled with in my own kind of personal portfolio in, in the, over the last like six to nine months is definitely getting better. But you know, I've always been good at anal- like analyzing things and sometimes like too much so. But like yeah, the the execution side and like the emotional control, which we'll talk about in a moment, is something yeah. that I've had to had to work on. So I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought that up. With that, yeah. um, so let, yeah. let's talk about our fir- the first chapter that we're going to cover is stay calm under pressure and emotional control, just because I feel like that's a good kind of segue yeah. there. Uh, so yeah, cool. let's, let's go ahead and dive in there. So, I mean, stay calm under pressure. I'm not going to like read from the book. Uh, you know, by the way, this a lot of these chapters I have for free on my YouTube channel. Like I t- I'm going to eventually have the whole book for free. Um, so like stay calm and like three, you know, lesson three, it's on my YouTube channel. Stay calm under pressure. It's, it's like... Um, when the price, you know, we take near, for example, it, it's a popular altcoin right now. And like near was at like $17 and I was looking at it and I was thinking, man, if it dropped back down to 12 or 11, I'd love to buy some, but then it drops and I'm and down to 12 or 11 and I'm immediately scared. I'm like, Oh my God, it just dropped from 17 to 12. And so it's, you, you're not staying calm under pressure because you're freaking out and you get carried away and it's so easy to get carried away. It's so easy to see a green candle and want to jam long. It's so easy to see a red candle and want to sell. You have to understand that, um, like you have to give your, like in poker or a lot of these other games and any kind of game, you have to give your opponent an opportunity to make a mistake, right? That's incredibly important. So when other people are panicking, that's opportunity. You have to train your mind, train your mind and think, all right, Hey, there's panic right now. I need to start looking for opportunity. So rather than you joining the panic, you observe the panic amongst the other market participants and you start to look for opportunity, right? So, cause you know, like Bitcoin, we love, we love the volatility, man. That's why we're here. We love these, these huge swings. We love buying on the confirmation of an ascending triangle breakout and then watching it run, you know, like a thousand dollars in like, you know, like an hour, or even like 10 minutes. We love that. So you need to be ready for that big move. You need to be not surprised by a big move. You need to understand we're in an asset class that's incredibly va- va- um, volatile. And you gotta understand Bitcoin's gonna make it hard for you. It, no matter what, the market's gonna test you. It's gonna make you panic. You need to stop and be aware of that. Be aware of other people panicking and try to stay calm because you can really get some good value there. Let's talk about identifying trends, both uptrends and downtrends and different yeah. ways that you can identify those. Um, so classical charting, right? I'm really a big proponent of classical charting. 
And so what you want to look at, like what's an uptrend, right? A definition of an uptrend is a rising 200 period simple moving average. A simple moving average means every candle in that series, whether it's a 50, a 20, like the middle ball in Japan, or 200. Simple means every candle is the same weighting. An uptrend is a rising 200 period moving average. Some people use something called the ADX, the average directional index. There's a lot of um, like quants and like, you know, systems that use the ADX. A rising ADX is a rising trend. You want to have a rising MA200 and you want to have the price above that, right? So that's an uptrend. But maybe more simply than, simple than that. When the price is rejected somewhere and then eventually breaks up above that and makes a new high, you want to watch to see if that old high is held, kind of stair-stepping. You want to keep building stairs of support. So an uptrending chart will have higher lows over time. And you can observe that. And when you, when you see the, that higher low structure starting to break down, that's a sign of trend weakening. So your job as a technician is to identify the trend. Okay, we're above the 200, it's rising. Then your job is to buy a dip in the trend. Okay, it's pulled back to the eight EMA or it's pulled back to the 10 MA or the middle Bollinger. You buy the dip in an uptrend, right? You're, you're doing a good job. And then all of a sudden that dip entry failed. You say, wait a minute, maybe this trend is weakening. I'm gonna, I'm gonna define my risk. I'm gonna cut my position here. I'm gonna wait for the price to get back up above the level that just lost and kind of, you know, kind of continue the trend. So you identify the trend, you identify when it's weakening, you identify when it's, it's strengthening. There's all sorts of ways to do that. You know, people overcomplicate, I think, too much using RSI, I think way too much buying, you know, like a sub 30 RSI, it's oversold, I'm gonna buy. Um, rather than just watching the relationship with price to, to support and resistance. I like to use moving averages like the eight EMA and any kind of strong uptrend will almost always bounce off the eight EMA, right? So you can observe that. And you can also observe the, the moving averages, their interaction with one another. When that eight EMA rolls over and crosses the 34, okay, that's a sign of weakening, right? So there's different methods. Everybody has different methods. Some people use Ichimoku cloud. Some people use Elliott wave analysis. Um, a lot of people use like order book, order flow, there's on chain, there's all these different methods, of course. Um, you know, what works for me is simply just watching the price relationship to support and resistance, you know, like Bitcoin, it, Bitcoin's given us all these really wonderful psychological levels to play, right? So what's the trend? You know, we had that, we had that panic dip below 40K, we dropped down to like 32.9 and we kind of chopped around for a while. And when it was in that mode, when we were chopping, that's a difficult environment to play, right? Do you, do you enter at 35? Do you enter at 36? Where's your stop loss? But once the price got back over 40K, that was a very clean entry. Because you can say, all right, if it's back above 40K, the bull momentum is resuming, right? It's a clean level 40K. And I can say, hey, if it breaks back below 40K, I'm out. Gives you a clean level to know when your thesis fails. Like you have to know when your idea fails. So Bitcoin will often give us a good psychological level. Like Litecoin had that with 100. Ada's had that with that $1 support. You know, if you're a new trader and, trader and you're listening to this and you're struggling, I would suggest start structuring your risk based on really simple major psychological levels. It's either bullish above or bearish below, that type of thing. And you'll be surprised. Um, things will start to get a lot easier. Can we talk about risk management and as well, like nope. one thing you kind of... <laughs> One thing you kind of touched on <laughs> was like, um, for example, 40K, right? Like buying the reclaim yeah. of 40K and setting your yeah. setting your invalidation below. One thing yeah. I've noticed, uh, at least in the, in the time that I've been in the market in crypto is that a lot of times these kind of obvious levels tend to get, mm. uh, you know, 
uh, tend to get ran for, for stops or, or liquidations, basically ran yeah. for liquidity. So how do yeah. you, how do you kind of, uh, structure setting your stop aside from yep. setting it exactly at 40 K. Right. So you have to be agile, honestly. I mean, I'm trading, I can watch it kind of intraday. Most people have a nine to five. So they're probably operating based on like a candle close, you know, type of thing. But what I would say is this. So let's say to answer your question directly, um, every, the whole market, the market makers, you know, the powers that be right. Know that, uh, I want to go long when it breaks above 40 K and I do go long. Then they wick below and they stop me out. But guess what? I'm going to go back long again when it gets back up above 40K. When you define your, when you define your, define your thesis and that thesis fails, you can re-enter the trade if your thesis has been revalidated. So you have to be prepared to re-enter when your prior good idea you know, becomes valid again. So it takes, you have to manage your trade. You have to babysit it, especially at that point of entry, right? And then once it goes in the direction you believe it has, you can either add risk at that point because it's confirmed your idea, or you can move your stop loss up into profit. And then you can kind of, you know, turn off the computer and go for a walk and do something else because you're kind of at worst break even. Um, so you have to babysit it right when you enter. You have to understand that it's okay to go back into an idea. It's go. It's okay to go back in if you've already been stopped out, right? Don't say, oh, I'm not going to try again. That's how they get you, right? A lot of people um, I talk to, you know, like on Bitcoin Live and on Twitter, it's like, well, they sold when it dropped below 40K, but they never thought about buying back in when it went back up above 40K. And it's like the market will find ways to depress you. It will find ways to, to make you give up. So you got to almost anticipate that, right? And that's why you look for those, something called a spring, where you have um, a support level temporarily lost and then quickly recaptured, right? Like in this flush here uh, on, on the daily chart, when Bitcoin broke below uh, 40K, what did we do? So on uh, January 22nd, we made a low of 34K, right? Two days later, the low of that session was 32.9, but then we intraday in the middle so we dropped below 34k which was everyone's watching that right that was the prior low uh, of the bounce and then we got back up above it so you look for a level that's lost and you know everyone's giving up and then it comes back up again right after all the stop losses have been triggered so really pay attention to that kind of stuff how do you look at volume you've talked about this yeah. pretty extensively throughout the conversation so how do you interpret that with your trading Volume is really, volume is really important. Um, you want to look for, you want to look for where the volume is coming. So like ideally on a breakout, you want to have volume to accompany that breakout. And that's a very important clue. Um, but more importantly, you want to look at where the volume is coming and on which candles. So if you have the price rising or let's say the price, let's, let's look at it this way. Let's say we're in like a rectangle, right? So the price goes up and it's in a rectangle. And that's kind of a clearly defined upper and lower boundary. In that channel, let's say it's been, we'll call it a bull rectangle, right? So it's risen beforehand. We're expecting it to be a continuation pattern. If you're watching that candle, let's say there's 20 candles in this rectangle. And let's say the red candles, you're noticing the red candles have more volume. So it's rising on light green candles with light volume, but then in the red candles, there's heavy volume. So you pay attention to that. You pay attention to where the volume is coming on which candles. Gives you a little bit of a clue. Um, you understand, like if you're looking for a bottom, right? Like you want volume on a bottom. In a free fall situation, boom, that's the volume I'm looking for. That one hour candle, we got a whole cluster of volume. You want a cluster, a grouping of volume at the bottom. 
That's the reason that happens when the price is trending and it's moving in a direction, there's already an imbalance in supply and demand, right? The price is falling because there's not, uh, there's, there's too much supply, right? There's too much supply. And then you have a lot of volume because you have a battle between bulls and bears and they're trying to decide a new direction. Boom, the prior trend is stalled out. You get a lot of volume and then you can kind of continue in a new direction. So you get volume at the top, you get volume at the bottom. You can use that as a clue for kind of big picture turning signals. You can watch volume, counter trend volume for clues as well. Um, that's what I would say about that. Let's talk about this chapter, manage your track. Yeah, okay, sure. Yep. I mean, it's just like, that's just like bankroll management, manager stack. So like what I said earlier, you asked me what new traders do. You know, they came in with $3,000 and then their first trade I said was 600. That first trade should have been, uh, you know, like $150 or $100 or less, you know, 5% maybe, you know, no, no position to really be more than five, maybe 10, but really 5% of your bankroll. So that's managing your stack where you want to understand that you, you have a small position. It's easier to manage. Um, you know, managing your stack, scaling in, this is, you know, these are a little bit of crossover lessons. This is a lesson on scaling in, but managing your stack is also scaling into your position. So if you know that you want to put in a thousand dollars, break that up into four pieces and come in 250 at a time. So you can be a little bit more flexible and, and adapt a little bit to the price action. So smaller position sizes, break up that position into smaller pieces and just like refuse to add to a losing trade, right? Refuse to add to a, to a, to a, to like a bad idea. Like if you're in because it keeps bouncing off the, the 50 moving average support and all of a sudden it breaks it. Don't think, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to add more. No, like get out. So you got to like, you know, manage your stack by just saying, all right, that's it. Define your risk and cutting the trade. And, you know, bankroll management's everything because you need years and years and years of trading to be successful. Um, to maybe even figure out how you want to play the market. There's so many ways to play this market too. So it's just, you got to give yourself time to figure that stuff out. Totally. And I like this upcoming chapter, I think, uh, because timeframes often get kind of misconstrued yeah. on Twitter. Can we talk yeah. about how, how to manage timeframes? Yeah. So there's the general concept um, that the, you know, the, the, the longer the time frame, the stronger the signal, everybody's probably heard that. So it's like, if you're, you know, when in doubt, zoom out, right. Those, you know, and that's true. That's a good thing to understand. But the question is like, when do you switch to a lower time frame? When is it appropriate to switch to a lower time frame? So like what I trade on, I, I trade with the daily to understand where it's going. And I usually will switch down to like a one hour, right. When I'm kind of entering a trade, there are times I'll go down to 15 minutes and I'll tell you when the rule of thumb is that when you approach a critical level, when you're right at an important level, you can go to lower time frame, right? So you can trade off the daily and now the daily has reached a critical level. I can start looking for like a one hour head and shoulders or one hour ascending triangle, or maybe even on lower time frames. I'm looking for an up thrust now on the 15 minute chart. So when you get to a key level, lower time frames, right? And in the middle, step out, observe the broader trend and trade accordingly. Jeds, what do you think about the current market structure and just like your broader current market outlook? Um, in, in what sense? In what sense? Um, let's just say kind of on a on a several week time frame. What do you what do you think about just where Bitcoin sits? What are some of the levels you're looking at? And what do you just think about like broader daily market structure as well? 
So, I mean, Bitcoin has been under pressure, really definitely under pressure since October, November. We've, you know, we've talked about that on Twitter. Everybody knows that, you know, we, we topped off and we've been in a corrective environment. Um, you know, when you're in these, when you're in a corrective environment, uh, you get these, these, these pockets, these bounces, these, these relief rallies. And we've been doing it along the way, late November. We did it there in uh, middle to end of December. And so like we're at a point now where we've dropped, I don't know what we dropped from the top, just off the top of my head. We dropped uh, like 53%. We dropped, you know, 50% off the top. It's a pretty good little little drawback. Um, it's a question of, are we going to resume that broader trend? Are we going to march back to our highs? And, you know, you have to recapture moving averages that have held on the way up, right? So on the weekly chart, we need to get back above the weekly MA50. That's a really critical level. You know, when we first closed below the weekly MA50, um, that was a big time warning sign, right? It was a little bit of a precursor. And that happened uh, for the first, first time the week of December uh, 13th. We closed out around 47K at that time. You know, that was a sign that the trend was weakening. And then we turned, the, the, you know, the weekly EMA8 into resistance. Um, let me try to simplify this and give you a better answer for people who are listening. Uh, you know, we're still at 40K. That's pretty good. Um, but you've, you've had a lot of downward pressure to get into this point and there's been, the market's been shaken and the confidence of the market's been shaken kind of at this point. So I think, you know, 46 K needs to be, needs to be flipped back into support. I've been watching this from below 40 K. I was watching 40 K and then I was watching 46 K and why 46 K 46 K is, is when the price was trying to bottom right in december it was trying to do a double rounded bottom or an eve and eve bottom and the bottom of that is called the trough or the low and the peak was around 52k so we had that channel in the 40k 46k to 52k channel we broke down and now we're back up underneath it like you've got to flip these levels you can play around with diagonals you can draw them any way you want to justify your bias but a, a level is a level you know, we're above 40, 40K. All right, we've got something going on. We're above 46K and we remain above 46K. I think there's serious room for enthusiasm. I think we can build a support level there and maybe push up. And probably I think we, if we flip 46, I think we see 58. That's kind of how I'm looking at it, um, you know, with a little bit of time in between. But you reject at 46K, I think you could very easily come back and retest 40, maybe even temporarily dip below 40 again to scare people. And then you watch to see, do we get back up above 40? So focus on those clean round numbers, 40K, 46K, make it easy on yourself, you know, make it simple, simplify your method. It's very interesting because uh, the three levels I have on my chart personally are 40, 46 to 47, as well as 58. So there's a, uh, there's some oh. good, and I don't have a CMT, so there's, there's there a little go, comfort. And uh, yeah, I think, I think uh, the, the 46K level as well, that's the yearly open. Um, there's a couple different averages there, uh, as well as also, if you look at from an on-chain perspective, something called the short-term holder uh, cost basis, which is essentially just like the average price that investors have bought in on-chain. Um, that's right there as well. So definitely a lot of a lot of confluence there. And I, I, yeah. I tend to agree with you. I think that if we can kind of reclaim that, that's kind of uh, an area for for confirmation of like high time frame momentum, if you will. And you look at how we got there too. I actually, you know, I have a short right now and I was anticipating a rejection at 46K because we went from 33 to 46 and you're seeing some minor signs of trend weakening with Japanese candlesticks. You've got, the, you know, the high wave spinning top in February 8th, another spinning top yesterday. It's at the upper Bollinger Band. So it's natural. People are often um, 
scared of consolidation, but you, you know, three steps forward, you need to go one back, maybe one and a half back, and then maybe get that higher low. It's due to pause, right? I expected it to pause at 40, 40K and it didn't. So I really expected to pause at 46K. It needs to pause. It needs to consolidate. It needs to kind of let things kind of settle out a little bit. So you think and, we could pull back to kind of the 39, 40K area and kind of form absolutely. a higher low there? Yeah, absolutely. Not that, I'm not saying we definitely will, but I think that would be logical. I think it would be reasonable and it would be healthy, healthy. for market structures. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, a couple of like, I guess, like rapid fire questions before we wrap up. First of all, what is the biggest mistake that you've personally made as a trader? Um, well, the one I keep making uh, over and over again is adding to losers. It's the hardest the one to stop doing. It's you get you get married to an idea and, and then you don't want to admit like like there's a, qu a quote I put out. Refusing to take a small loss will often lead to the opportunity to refuse to take a large loss. So I've done that where I tell people don't do it. I keep doing it myself. So I've added to losers. You know, I rode a penny stock from like 20 grand to 300 grand and then back to like $50. So I've, I mean, I've, I've made every mistake, man. You know, that's where the book comes from. It's all from my dumb, dumb moves. So I just adding to losers and not knowing when to, to just walk away from an idea. I'd say that's the biggest mistake I keep making. And then I guess kind of the, the converse of that, what's the best trade you've ever made? If you don't want to throw out dollar terms, just percentage gains, or maybe just like the concept or idea. I did a 27,000% gainer in, on the penny stocks. I bought something when my daughter was born. It was at like a, it was like 0.0014 and it went to like 45 cents and it took some profit along the way. So that was definitely my, one of my better trades. Um, you know, it's definitely one of my better trades in terms of like forecasting. I mean, in like TA, I feel like I, I saw this top coming, you know, this, this 68 K top here in November. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. I'm definitely proud of like recognizing that trend. My TA is getting better trading so much harder than TA, man, <laughs> you know, like executing the plan is so hard. Yeah. I, yeah. I think definitely like execution is, is way more difficult than, than analysis. And I think, uh, on Twitter, it's, it's easy to think like everyone's a godly trader. If they have good analysis, yes. like myself yes. included, I, you know, I, I post all kinds of analysis, but you know, that doesn't always mean that people are executing on that analysis. Well, um, okay. What, what's some like final alpha, I guess that, that you could leave with the listeners, be that, you know, trading wise, or just like, you know, life wisdom in general, kind of an overarching thing that they could, that they can use day to day. Well, if you're trading, I think you have to take it seriously. You know, it's either a hobby. If it's a hobby, it's you're, it's, you're going to lose money because you're not taking it seriously. So respect your money by putting in time, read a textbook and empower yourself because the people you're looking up to really don't know what they're doing. You know, most of the people you people follow on Twitter have never, never read a textbook. They're only posting the winners. You know, you have to be reliant only on yourself. Yeah, that has to be the origination, the, the origin of your good trading ideas, your risk management. It has to be you. Everything has to be driven from you, right? It's easy to get into a cycle where you're failing so much, you're looking for a silver bullet. And it's, I found, oh, this is the new guy I'm following. He's the one who's going to lead me to the promised land. And it's not going to work. It's not someone else. It's not external. It has to be internal. You have to be your own salvation in trading. So I think people need to understand that. And to get to that point, you have to risk way less money. Stop risking so much money. Cut your position size by 90%. And you'll probably manage it a lot better. And if your trade idea fails, just get out. Get out, get out, get out, get out, and uh, live to fight another day. And that's what I would say.
I love it, man. I think that was a, a great way to, to wrap it up before we, before we do, I want to give you kind of a little plug to uh, hand off to your Twitter as well as your book and anything else that you want to leave the listeners with. Sweet. Appreciate that. Um, you can find me. And once again, really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, you know, say hello to your audience. I'm on Twitter at big cheds. I do academic observations about price trading, psychology, that kind of stuff. I'm on tw- uh, YouTube at cheds trading. Uh, if you're interested, I'm also a founding analyst at Bitcoin Live, best-in-class educational platform for crypto. I do uh, twice-a-week full market updates, and I'm really dedicated to that. I take it incredibly seriously. Um, the book is on Amazon Trading Wisdom. I've got four formats. Um, but like, if you can't, buy, if you don't want to buy it, you can't afford it, or literally some countries you can't buy the book. I have a free version on YouTube. There's a playlist where I'm eventually going to have the whole book for free. You know, definitely check that out as well. And uh, you know, just thanks for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Treads, for coming on. Really uh, appreciate the conversation. We'll have to get you back on maybe in a, in a couple months or so with a little Absolutely. kind of part two. Uh, thanks so much, man. Take it easy. Thank you, buddy.